All right, Isaiah 58, 1 through 11 is where we're at today. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing spring up speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. Satisfy your desire in scorched places. Make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Father, the promises in that verse are so spectacular, God, that we don't want anything to come between them and us. And so, Lord, please help us, God, to have a heart that matches our praise, to have a heart that matches our prayers. God, help us to have your heart, your heart toward the poor, toward the needy, to the afflicted, toward our brother. God, I pray that we would be a people not just with religion, but with with a relationship with you. God, we pray for your teaching and your help today in Christ's name. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 58 can be a little bit confusing in verses 1 through 3. Okay, It really is, actually, because verse 1 is God telling the prophet, cry out about the sin of my people. In other words, he's telling the, the prophet, I want you to go yell and, and, and tell the people of all their transgressions, of all their sins. But then you go to verse 2, and, and this is God saying, saying it, so it's, no, it's true. He says, yet they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways. Look at the end of verse 2. They ask me, ask of me righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. Well, hold on. You know, so verse one is go cry out to my people of all their sins, all their transgressions. They are they're absolutely in the wrong. Verse two, but they're seeking me every day and they're calling out to me and they want to know. They want to hear from me. They want to know my ways. And in fact, you go on to verse three and, and this is them talking now. 
Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you don't take any knowledge of it? So now here's the people's perspective. Man, we've not only called out to you, God, but we are fasting. We are not eating. No, no cheeseburgers, no lasagna, no, no buffet. I mean, we're going without food and we're calling out to you, God, and you're not answering. You're not hearing. You're not responding. What's going on here? People, God says they're full of sin, but yet they're seeking him. God says he's not going to hear, yet they're praying. They're fasting. So what's happening here? So to, to solve this, we, we need to look at something really important, and that is, does your heart match your prayer? Does your heart match your worship? Does your life match your worship? Okay? So let, let's break this down. What are they doing? Well, here's what they're doing. They're, they're fasting, they're praying, they're calling out, they're coming to the temple, they're seeking God. Now, are those good things? Absolutely, yes. Okay? What does it mean to fast, by the way? Well, normally it is you don't eat food for a certain amount of time, with the intent to seek God, okay? And, and so it's kind of a way of, of uh, here's the way I would describe it, saying no to the flesh and saying yes to God. That, that's kind of what fasting is. Um, it is. It is a way to say, God, I need you more than food. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness in his temptation? What was he doing? He was fasting. Remember that? 40 days, 40 nights, he fasts. And, and you remember what the devil does to him? He comes to him and he says, hey, Jesus, you know what? You're really hungry. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And Jesus' response is this. It is, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So essentially, Jesus tells Satan, I need God's word much more than I need food. Okay? That's really what fasting is, 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 is saying. Okay? Whenever you fast, you're saying, God, I, I need you. I need you more than anything. I need you more than I need to eat. Okay? Fasting is a way to, to here's what John Piper said. If you, if you go to his website and do the Ask Pastor John's, uh, he had one on, you know, why do we fast or what do we fast? And he said this. I thought it was cool. He said, fasting is an exclamation point at the end of the sentence, I need you. Okay? So like you're, you're praying, God, I need you. I need you. Well, when you fast and pray, you're putting an exclamation point behind that. You're saying, I need you, God. I need you, right? That, that's what it is to fast. Okay, so, so is fasting good? Yeah, it is. You, you, you ought to do it, actually. Matthew chapter 6 uh, in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about it, he's talking about the abuses of fasting, but he says in Matthew 6, 16, and when you fast, when you fast. Ooh, that's kind of convicting, isn't it? When, like this, this ought to be a, a part of your Christian life. Like, like you ought to have times in your life where you need God so much, you're like, man, I'm, I'm skipping a meal. I'm skipping two meals. I'm, I'm going a day. You know, I, I've known people that went weeks, actually, you know, had something so big in their life that they were like, God, I, I got to hear from you clearly on this thing. And I am intent about hearing from you. And so, so yes, you ought to do this. And in Matthew chapter 9, um, in verse 15, the Jesus' disciples are criticized for not fasting. And, and Jesus said to them, can a wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So he's saying, why would they fast? They got me with them. <laughs> you know, if they want to they hear from God, they just come right over here by the fire. You know, ask, ask me something. But he says this. He said, the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away. In other words, he said, the day's going to come when I'm going to go. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to ascend. And he says, and then they will fast. That's us. Okay, and so th- this is not a bad thing. So when you read Isaiah 58 and you hear God criticizing their fast, don't hear him cr- criticizing fasting because I think fasting is a good thing. I think there are times in our lives where we really need to hear from God, where we're really desperate for Him, where we really need Him to move in our lives. And, and man, you ought to add that to your, your prayers. You ought, you, ought to, you ought to seek Him that intently. That, that's fine. You should do it. It's okay, all right? What was wrong with their fast, okay? Well, look in verse 3. 
So he says, uh, they say, we fasted and you see it not. We've humbled ourselves. You take no knowledge of it. And then God responded. He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Okay, so first of all, he said, when you fast, you're selfish. He says, you may not be eating and you may be praying and you may be saying the right things, but then you walk out of the temple, you walk out of church and you're, you're as selfish as you ever were. You go seek your own pleasure. And then he goes on. Look at verse, end of verse 3. And you oppress all your workers. So not, not, only, not only are you selfish, but then when you get around other people, you, you're not investing in people. You're not caring for people. You're oppressing people. And then he goes on even further. Verse 4, he says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like this, like yours this day, will not make your voice to be heard on high. So you're selfish, you're oppressive, and you're, you're full of strife with other people. Uh, so it's kind of like this. It'd be kind of like the equivalent of coming to worship. Okay, so you come to worship and you sing the songs and you, you, you pray the prayers and then you, God, please help me. And you, maybe you have a prayer request in Sunday school. Man, would the, when the, would the class pre, please pray for me in this? And you, you, you're, you're saying all the right things. And then as you're walking out of church with your, with your spouse heading to the car, you pick up the fight that you left off before you came to church, you know? Like you were quarreling when you came to church and you kind of raised a white flag and you came in and you, you prayed and you said, God, we need you, God, we need you, God, I need you. Please help us, God, we got the situation, please help. And then you walk out and you're like, all right, now let's talk about what you, know, and you go right at each other. And God's like, you think I'm pleased with that? You think I'm going to hear that? No. They were worshiping, they were praying, they were fasting, but they did not have God's heart. And it was really clear that they did not have God's heart in the way that they treated other people. And by the way, Jesus uses this type of phrase over and over again in the New Testament. One of the most famous, Matthew 15, 8, he's talking to the Pharisees, they're super religious. And he says, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. So do you, do you understand that concept of saying the right things with your lips? Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. You can say all those things, but your heart's a million miles away from what you just said. And that was what was happening here in Isaiah chapter 58. They were religious but they were not seeking God with their lives. You know, we have to be really careful about seeking God in one area of our life while telling him no in another area of your life. Does that make sense? Um, You can be asking for his help in one area and actively rebelling in another. So basically what, what you do then is you send a mixed message. Have you ever got a mixed message? Has anybody ever come up to you and said something like, well, you're a great friend. And what'd they say there? Well, but they said you're a great friend. But it was a mixed message, wasn't it, right? Like like there was something in their heart that you picked up on that you're like, okay, what they said does not match their heart. Okay, well, that's that's what we do to God. We send him a mixed message. So when we say, God, I want your power. And he says, okay, I'm going to give it to you so that you can forgive that person. And we're like, no. No. All right, that's a mixed message. 
God, I want your power. I don't want your power. God, I want your truth. I don't want your truth. Okay, and so we have to be really careful about mixed messages toward God. And this happens particularly toward other people. Your heart should match your profession, your prayer, your praise. And, and particularly toward other people. And why I say particularly toward other people, because it's the easiest to see, okay? So when you think about how do we love God? Well, we've talked about this lots. How do you love God? Well, you, you could say, well, I love him in my delight for him, my joy over his word, my, my, my affection for him. Those are all true. But over and over again, what's the Bible come back to? You love God by the way you love his people, correct? That's everywhere in the Bible, isn't it? That's all over in the Bible. And the reason is this. God has no practical needs. God is never hungry, never lonely, never homeless. Okay? God, God's, this is never going to happen. You're never going to come to God, and God's going to speak to you and say, man, I am really in trouble up here, you know? And I just, I just need your help, you know? Would you step in? And you're going to say, yeah, me, God, I'll do it, you know? That's never going to happen. Okay, but here, here's the thing. God's people need you. Other people need you. The needy need you. And this is so true in the Bible. That that will be the evidence that your heart was right with God. That in Matthew 25, Jesus says on judgment day, that will be the thing that's clear. On judgment day, God, I, he's not going to ask, hey, who repented of their sins and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Now, that's how you, that's how you get saved, right? But what he's going to say is, here's the evidence. How do I know this? Well, Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is a picture of the, the judgment day, okay? When God actually, he's going to come in with his angels, and he's going to separate the, separate the saved from the lost. Those going to heaven, those going to hell. Those going to eternal uh, bliss and, and happiness in the new heavens, new earth. Those going to eternal uh, torment in hell. He's going to separate them. And here's what he's going to say to them. Matthew 25, verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? It's interesting that they don't, they don't know what he's really talking about there. When did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see a stranger and clothe you and naked and, and, and or stranger and, and visit you, welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It's really cool that they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't know what he's talking about. You know why they don't know what he's talking about? Because they did it out of the overflow of their heart. Their heart was changed, okay? So what, what is Jesus teaching about that passage? Is he teaching that the way to go to heaven is run and go get a styrofoam cup out of the kitchen, get a glass of water, and, and give it to Avery, and then run back and get see if there's a leftover donut, give that to Fred, you know, and then uh, run back and uh, we got some Falls Creek t-shirts, give that to somebody who needs a t-shirt, and then run by the jail on your, on your way home, and you're good, right? You're going to heaven. That's all you needed to do. That's exactly not what that passage is saying. Okay, the gospel is really clear in the Bible. The, God, the only way that you're going to be saved is by putting your faith in the, in the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, being joined to him in a faith relationship. But what the Bible's saying is, if that's true of you, you'll have a changed heart. And that changed heart will be clearly seen in how you treat the needy. That's what, that's what Matthew 25 is saying. And that's what Isaiah 58 is confirming. What does 1 John tell us over and over again? You can't love God and hate your brother. You know, because we love God by loving our brother. And so it is incredibly important for us that when we are coming to God, we don't give him mixed messages. 
that our heart matches our profession, that our bowed head matches our bowed heart. Now, now I want to be clear with this. Does, Does this mean we cannot or should not pray if we have any sin in our lives? Okay, let's get this theologically right. What right do I have to pray to God? The only right I have to pray to God is through Jesus, my high priest. That's how I get to him, okay? I don't get to him by doing good things, right? So it's not like I do 10 good things and a bell goes off and I get to go pray to God and ask him something. No, I I come to God freely and confidently through the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That's how I get to God and I am welcome to come to the throne, okay? But what, what Isaiah 58 is telling us is that you shouldn't tell God no and yes in the same breath. Because he sees your heart. And so if your heart's telling him no, and your mouth's telling him yes, you need to get those straight. Get them in alignment. So that your heart and your mouth are saying the same thing. Let's play this out. Let's say you have a damaged relationship in your life. You sinned against somebody. That happens, right? You sinned against somebody. You were wrong. They sinned against you. And nobody can really remember who sinned first. It just was ugly, right? And it's been on your heart. You've been convicted of it numerous times. You need to get that right. You need to forgive and you need to at least make an attempt at reconciliation. But what if your heart says no? No, God. No. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to them. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not forgiven. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, no, 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 no. But in the same time, you need God. Hey, you know what I know is true about our community? There are lots of hurting people. I can't tell you how many texts I got this week. Pastor, my hours just got cut. My jobs, my company's closing down. So, so what if you're coming to God saying, oh God, you please provide, please help us. Maybe even you're pulling your family, and this would be a smart thing to do. You're pulling your family and you're saying, guys, let's take Tuesday and nobody eat lunch on Tuesday. And we're just going to pray for our situation. That's how serious we are about needing God. Okay, is it wise to at the same time be telling him no about forgiving and reconciling? You see what you're doing? You, 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 can't, you can't say, God, speak to me. Shut up. Speak to me. No. Speak to me. Be quiet. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That's what God's saying. He's saying, man, you're fasting, and you're, but I, I'm not going to hear you. Because in the day you're fast, you're walking right out, seeking your own pleasure, oppressing your workers, and picking a fight. I don't hear that. Let's say you're living in sexual sin. What is sexual sin? Any sexual relationship outside of the one man, one woman marriage relationship. Let's say you're living in sexual sin, but at the same time, you have a huge need in your life. And you're, you're calling out, God, my finances. God, I need you to come through here. But at the same time, he's convicted you over and over again about your sin. And you're telling him, no, no, no. I won't deal with that. Folks, we've got to get our heart in line with our worship, with our prayer, with our praise. How about this one? Maybe uh, you habitually are arrogant and uncaring toward those in need. You know, that's one of those sins that you can get away with almost as a Christian. You know, I'm just, I'm too busy for people. I'm, people are too messy for me. I, you know, that's your own problem. You should have worked harder. You should have not made bad decisions. You shouldn't have got on drugs. You shouldn't have done whatever, but it's not my business. And so maybe you're just trucking through life saying, you know what? None of those folks are my business. 
But then, tragedy strikes your own life. And you have a wayward son or a wayward daughter. And all of a sudden, you begin to cry out to God, God, please intervene in, in, in my wayward son while I walk past wayward people all day long and will not do anything. You see how that's a heart that's not in line with a prayer, with a mouth, with a worship? And so what, what's, he, what's Isaiah 58 saying? God's saying, deal with your sin. Deal with your sin. Come to me in a posture ready to hear, ready to listen, ready to obey. You see what they were doing? Where's that at where he says, um, verse 5, is it, he says, Is this the fast I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? He's, he's almost making fun of, not really making fun of, but he's saying, here's your idea of, of an effective prayer. It's one where you just, you, you know, you, you change your posture. You get down on your knees and you do some of this and maybe you spread out sackcloth. And he's saying, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But he's saying, the posture I'm looking for is a heart that is like my heart. When you have my heart, that's when I'll answer your prayer. Okay, so what do we need to address according to Isaiah 58? Okay, there's a couple things here we're going to spotlight. Look at verse 6. He says, is, not the fast that, is this not the fast that I choose? So God's telling us the kind of heart that he wants us to have, Okay. Verse 6, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. All right, now I don't know about you, but when I just read that, I immediately think, well, none of that's a problem for me, right? Like how many of you have slaves that you need to let go? Anybody got one, you know? Um, I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about like actual slaves, you know? Anybody got one of those? I don't have one of those, you know? Uh, Who am I oppressing, you know? Um, I don't sell anything, so I don't gouge anybody on the price. I don't, you know, I don't have any of that, you know. So I'm I'm clean, right? As far as justice, that's a justice verse, by the way. You're going to see those all through the Bible. That's a justice verse. Well, let me tell you, as you look through the Bible, and and someday maybe we'll just have a whole sermon unpacking this. But as you look through the Bible, what you're going to see is justice in the Bible is more than that. It includes those things, like don't, don't enslave people. Don't oppress people. Don't, don't hold back their wages. Don't cheat them. Don't, 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 don't do those things, okay? But it goes further than that. Justice in the Bible says this. I'm going to help things be like they ought to be. Do you hear that? Ought. That's a key word for me. O-U-G-H-T. I got circled in my notes. Let, let, I want things to be like they ought to be. It, when Jesus, when John the Baptist, Jesus, when they all came preaching in Matthew, and at the beginning of the New Testament, what they say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do they mean by that? Jesus was saying, I'm bringing in my kingdom. My kingdom is here. What would he mean? He, what he meant was, I am changing people's hearts so they begin to live in a new way. And as they live in a new way, they bring the kingdom in. He says that over and over again. The kingdom is here. Whenever you see the, the hungry being fed and the, and the sick being healed and then and, and the the, the widow being cared for and the orphan being cared for. The kingdom is here. What do you mean? He means things being the way they ought to be. That's beginning to happen. And someday it's going to happen completely, right? It's going to come. And, and so, so verse 6 says, to have my heart, then, then you need to work to, to make things like they ought to be. And so what does that look like practically? A thousand things. 
We don't have time to, I know you're thinking, that's what happened. He went through the whole thousand, that's why he was late. I did, I'm not going to do that. But let me just, let, let's throw out some, okay? These are some obvious ones. Babies ought to be born, right? Babies ought to be born. In other words, they ought not be killed in the womb. They ought not be aborted. Like, like, like when, you, when you see the abortion industry in America, God's heart, which ought to be the Christian's heart, the redeemed heart, it ought to, it ought to cry out, no, 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 that ought not be. Give them to us. We'll take them. We'll help that mother. We'll, we'll, we'll get her care. We'll, we'll adopt the baby. We'll, we'll do something because that ought not be. Whenever you see children who aren't being cared for. Orphans. What, is, what does a Christian say about an orphan? He says, whoa, a child ought to have a mom. A child ought to have a dad. Right? I'll step in and be that. We'll adopt, we'll, we'll send money over to Barachalam, India, to Psalm 91 house. And, and because we want that, that child ought to be cared for. So that's going to be my heart. Whenever you see people treated with disrespect or dishonor, what's, what's the heart of a Christian say? I can't tell you how many times we've been in a restaurant and somebody that cares way too much about french fries, you know, just rips into a waitress. You know, who had nothing to do with preparing it. Ah, it gets all over me. It's like, dude, if you care that much about food, then go make your own. Like, really, I mean, if it's that big a deal that you're going to flip out on this gal, don't go out to eat. You know, and, and so there's something in this. It cries out, oh, that ought not happen. You ought not yell at that gal. She didn't make it. She just works there. And so what, what, what does a Christian do? Well, a Christian probably... Hey, psst, psst, come over here. Man, we saw that. We're sorry. Sorry that happened. You know, I know you're probably just having a bad day. And, you know, we know it probably wasn't your fault. And we want you to know we're praying for you. You do something, right? You you step in to fix what ought to be. When we find out that there's people up in the mountains of Guatemala that when they hack their finger halfway off with a hatchet during corn harvest, there's nowhere to go. What does Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church say? And hey, that ought not be. Let's, we're going to put a health post at Rosaria Italia. We're going to fund that thing. Why, why do we do that? Because when you, when you hack your finger off with a hatchet, you ought to have somewhere to go, right? I mean, you ought to have someone that will put some disinfectant on that dude and wrap it up so you don't get gangrene. It, it ought to happen, right? Why do we drill water wells in India? Why do we, why do we build palettas? Why did Jeff Wales go build a paletta up in the mountains of Guatemala? You know why? Because when the horse and the donkey and the goat poo-poo and pee-pee in the, in the river, you ought not draw your water out of there and give it to your kids. I mean, it's just stuff obvious like that, right? That ought not be, we'll go fix that. that that's what he's talking about. Look at verse 7. Here's another category. So what, how do we have God's heart? When we, have, when we bring the kingdom in by... By, by bringing things as they ought to be. Verse 7, look at this. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? I'm telling you what, I cannot read. I've had to read that verse like six times already today, and it's super convicting. <laughs> anyway, when you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. All right, now what is verse 7 saying? It's saying you ought to share what you have. You've worked hard, you've made money, you have resources, you have time, and you ought to share that. 
Okay, God says, you want my heart? You want me to hear you? Then you share what you have. Now, let's, let's unpack, though, the struggle with that that we have. Okay, here's the struggle we have. But that's ours, right? And you worked hard to get it. And we all have stories, right? You know, you started working in the coal mine when you were three, you know? You rode on the little car and scooped coal out with a little bitty shovel, you know? And, and you, you worked all through school and, and you made good decisions and you saved every penny and you never wasted any of that. And that's awesome. That's awesome. And I've got one of those stories, you know, I'll tell my kids about, I started working in the feedlot, started weighing scales when I was about eight, you know, and started, you know, worked cattle and worked moved my way up to the farm crew and you know we've all got those stories right we, we worked hard for what we have okay but but what what is true well what's true is this first corinthians 4 7 what do you have that you have not received what do you have that you've not been given you know what a believer says you know what a believer's answer to that is nothing because you know what's true while we may have worked hard and while we have made good decisions you know what's also true We've been given benefits and blessings by the Lord that have got us exactly where we are. That's what's true. Because you know what's true about that old boy in uh, Barachalam, India? You know what happens if when he's three years old, he starts working in the fields? And you know what happens if he is the best weed picker, planter, farmer in his whole county? And he works 120-hour week every week from the time he's three years old until the time he's 50? You know what happens? He lives in poverty all his life. You know what happens if he saves everything and he never, he, never, he, never, he never spends one rupee that's not wise? You know what happens? He's still in poverty. He doesn't, he doesn't have a $150,000 house with a two-car garage and air conditioning. He doesn't. There, he won't get that. You know why? Because he was born in Barachalam, India and not Woodward, Oklahoma. Man, I'm aware of that. Aren't you aware of that? That we've been blessed, you know? And you know what's true about me? I mean, I know you started working in the coal mines when you were three and never made a bad decision. You know what's true about me? I just played out in the yard when I was three. I played in the sprinkler all summer, you know? I, we wore our underwear every day. We didn't work, you know? I mean, we didn't have to start working until we were in, in our teens, you know? I mean, a little bit, you know, help dad move and stuff. But really, we didn't have to start working. That was just in the summer. I got to go to school and, you know, I, I got to wrestle and play basketball and do a bunch of fun stuff. And, and you know what's also true about me? I made bad decisions. Like, I made dumb decisions. I bought, I bought these pair of shoes when I was like 17. They were like 70 bucks. It was the dumbest buy I ever bought. They were like, they just came in, they were like aqua socks and they were brand new. We thought they were the coolest thing ever. They had this webbing on top and this tread. I never wore them once. I have no idea where they are. I mean, it was dumb. I just bought them because my buddy said they were really cool. And so we, we bought them at the same time, you know. And uh, I mean, I made dumb financial decisions like that. And you know what? God's so gracious and I had such a safety net. I'm still okay. Right? Uh, isn't that probably true of you? Anybody, anybody make some really dumb decisions, dumb choices with their life, and you still have food and clothing, all right? What do you have that you've not been given? Nothing. God's been good. And so what is verse 7 saying? Your heart ought to be to share what you have. Because what you have is what you've been given by God. You're a steward. You're a steward. And it's a wicked thing to say, this is mine. I will not share. All right, so what happens when we have this kind of heart? All right, I mean, here's where things get super exciting, okay? Look, look at verse 8. 
then. Okay, so we have this kind of heart. We, 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 our, our kind of approach to God is, God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard to make things like they ought to be. I'm going to respond to need. I'm going to have your heart toward people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to forgive people. I'm going to give grace to people. I'm going to give mercy to people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share what I have when I can. I'm going to try, Lord, to make a difference. What happens? Verse 8, then your light breaks forth like the dawn. And your healing springs up speedily. And your righteousness goes on before you. And the glory of the Lord comes on behind you. And then you call, you pray, and God says, I'm here. I'm here. What do you need? I'm here. I will answer you. That's what God's going to do. Verse 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you'll be like a watered garden. All those blessings come when you have God's heart and you call out to him then. Yes. And by the way, you're thinking, man, is this just some kind of weird chapter in the Bible? You know, it is not. This is everywhere in the Bible. Psalm 41, 1 through 3. Let me just give you some examples. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. What's going to happen to the guy who considers the poor? In the day of trouble, the Lord will deliver him. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. He is called blessed in the land. Verse 3, the Lord sustained him on his sickbed and in illness. He'll restore him to full strength. Go to Proverbs. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you're going to see this all over. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 19, uh, verse, let's look at 17. Uh, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his need. Let's go over to 21, 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself cry out and not, and not be answered. It's everywhere that links our heart toward others with God answering our own prayers. All right? And so, so this, is a, this is a prescription for your own joy, really. I have people come into my office all the time, and, and they struggle with depression, Okay? And then let me just say this right away. That is a complicated issue. Why some folks just, they don't choose it. They don't want it. They, they, they struggle with it. But why, for whatever reason, a dark cloud comes over them and they legitimately cannot see the hope in front of them. They can't see it. You know, I mean, it's all the riches of Christ, all that God has done for them, all the future, all of his goodness, all the blessings. They can't. I mean, it's just like a fog and they legitimately cannot see it. And I don't know all the whys as to why that happens. I know there's probably physical reasons. There's probably chemical reasons. There's probably emotional reasons. There's probably things that happened to them in their past that add to that. And then there's there's surely the Bible says spiritual reasons. I don't I, I don't I don't have the answer to all that. But when they come to me and they say, Pastor, what should I do? One of the things I always tell them, I tell them a bunch of stuff, but one of the things I tell them is, you need to go to Isaiah 58.10. Because I want you to read this verse, and I read it with them. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And I tell them, I'm like, I don't know how this works. I'm not telling you I know all the answers, but I'm telling you I believe Isaiah 58.10 is right. And, and I know this, because lots of depressed people have told me, when you are depressed, what do you want to do? 
you want to withdraw in, right? Get away from people. I don't want to engage with people. I don't want to deal with people. I want to pull in. I want to withdraw into my shell. And you know what God is telling you to do? He's saying you fight that with everything that's in you, and you push out. You go find a homeless person, and you minister to them. You go find a needy person, and you minister to them. You go find a, someone who needs a friend, and you be their friend. You go find someone who needs served, and you serve them. You go pour yourself out for other people, and then God says, I will turn the light on in your life, and your gloom will be cast away, and my light will come in, and I don't know how it works, but I believe the Bible's true. Folks, our heart needs to match our worship. We've been praying as a leadership team for our church. We met the last time. Hey, what's our answer for expansion? I, the great pastor and leader that I am, said, I, I had no idea, guys. I don't know. I don't know. Everything I try seems to fail. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. But I said, I know this. We, need, we ought to pray. And so we committed to pray each day. We committed to pray for a certain amount of time for four things. That we would love each other well. That we'd have wisdom in expanding, knowing God's will and, and how we should expand. Pray for disciple makers and pray for key leaders. Those are the four things we, we, we decided we would pray about. But you know the cool thing? Verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually. Man, when I read that, I thought, okay, I, I know part of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out and make things that they ought to be in Woodard, Oklahoma, right? And when we see something that that's not, that shouldn't be that way, we ought to go try if we can. We have an opportunity to make it right. And we ought to pour ourselves out and share what we have. And if we do, it says, the Lord will guide you continually. Man, when you read those last couple of verses, they're a big contradiction. They say, you want to be full? Pour yourself out. Empty yourself. You want, to, you want to be watered? Well, then empty yourself. And here's why we believe that. We believe that because we believe the gospel. We believe that we ought to have that kind of heart toward the poor and the broken and the messy because we believe the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, again, if you believe the gospel, then you believe about showing mercy to the poor. You know why? Because if you're here today and you say, I'm a Christian, and I say, how'd you become a Christian? And you say this, you say, well, I'm a really good guy. And I've always been a good guy. You know, my mom told me I was the best boy in the block. And I've, I've always been really good. And I do good things. I help people. And I'm, I'm, I'm just really good. And, and so one day God came to me and he said, man, I want you on my team because you're awesome. Would you be on my team? And I said, God, I'll do that for you. I'll be on your team. And that's how I became a Christian. Here's what I would tell you. You're going to hell. <laughs> you are. I'm sorry. I mean, you are, for real. You're going to hell. You, you, you will burn forever under the wrath of God because you're a sinner and you're broken and you don't even see it. But here's my hope. I'm hoping when I say, are you a Christian here this morning? I'm hoping you would say something like this. Pastor, I came to realize I'm broken, not just on the outside, but I'm broken on the inside. And I have nothing to offer God. And when I came to him, I came to him as a beggar. I came to him with empty hands, saying, God, I've not done it right. I've messed it up. I'm broken. But I believe that you sent your son to live the life that I couldn't live. And I believe you sent your son to die on a cross to pay for all of my junk. 
And I believe that you rose, you, you raised Jesus from the dead. And, and Lord, I put my trust in you. And I plead for your mercy. And I believe that day that God gave me mercy. God gave this poor beggar who is empty-handed and had nothing. I believe God gave him mercy. And I believe that God joined me to Jesus. And now I'm the richest man on earth. And I've got an inheritance. And he's put his spirit in me. And I have this great future and this hope. And my pastor told me to memorize Jeremiah 29, 11, And so I did it. And it says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. And I believe that. Now, if you said that, I think you're a Christian. And I believe you got all that. But do, do, do you think back to what you just said, though? You just said what you believed is you were the poorest of the poor. You were what the Beatitudes said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. You're, you're a spiritual pauper. And God gave you mercy. Okay, so if, if that's who we are, then isn't it a bit of a contradiction if we walk out these doors here and, and we drive by folks in need and we say, we roll down our window and we say, you need to work harder like me. You need to make better decisions. Don't be so dumb. Speed on by. Did my dude deed. That's a bit of a contradiction, isn't it? So we need to have God's heart. Now, we need to do that with wisdom. See, that, that's what you're going to say back, and that's what I would say to you. We need to do that with wisdom, right? And so our next step is going to be, well, Pastor, you got to, it's, it's a hard thing to help people. It is, I agree. You know, I mean, you, we just don't want to go start giving out cash to the guy coming down from meth. I mean, how's that going to help him? It's not. This is going to hurt him. True, I believe that. You know, when, when you're in India and, and you come to the intersection and the lady comes up and holds her baby in the window, you know, do you just get out your, your wallet and give her rupees? No, you shouldn't do that. We know that lady's enslaved. She's, there's a guy back around the corner, and that, he, he owns her. And that baby's probably not even her. She works that corner. And if you really want to help her, then you're going to have to do more than get out your, 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 money, your, your billfold and get rupees because she, she's not going to get any of that. And so how are you really going to help her? Well, I agree. So do you see I'm agreeing with you? It takes wisdom. But here's, here's what we've got to be careful of. Some people, okay, we need to have God's heart and help people. We need to help the needy. And they're like, yeah, but we need to have wisdom. And their, their pendulum swings back and it sticks. It sticks with the wisdom. And so you know what they do? Nothing. Ever. Because they're not sure how. Okay, that's, that's not having God's heart. I, I'd rather make the wrong. I'd rather do the wrong thing than do nothing. Okay, but, but really, I, I don't want to do the wrong thing either. And so the, the wisdom thing is, I need to work hard to get in those people's lives. So that prayerfully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can make a real difference. And I can really give mercy as God has given to me. And so here's what's happened today. Let me just recap. We came today and we praised, right? We praised. I even gave you an extra song because of my tardiness, right? So you had, you've had opportunity to praise Jesus today. You've had opportunity to sing spiritual songs. You've had opportunity to stay up there. I think the one you were singing when I came in was How Great Thou Art, I think. How, you, 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 we sat out here and with our mouths. We said, God, how great thou art. We stood in honor of him. We stood. There, there's, there's, this, this service likes to do that, so we've started doing that. We stand with the reading of the word as a, as a way to show, God, we honor your word. Okay, but what God would say is, if you stand, 
to honor my word, but then you walk out of here and don't obey my word? <laughs> that's, that's a mixed message, right? If you sing my praise, but then you walk out of here and don't do my will, that's a mixed message. So we need to get our heart to match our praise. And so now as we move into our invitation time, would, would you just consider, is there something you know that is keeping God from hearing you? Is there something that you know of that's just not, it's not right in your life? Now, I'm not saying, are you perfect? None of us are perfect. But I'm saying, is there something God's got his hand on that you've just been saying, no, no, God, I ain't doing it. Hey, let's fix that today. Let's repent. Let's yield ourselves to God. And let's trust that as we do, and as we get to have God's heart, that his light will come. His power, his healing, his guidance, his, his, his refreshing supply will come into our lives. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to pray. God, what a privilege it is that we can come before the God of the universe and that you'll hear us. And Father, we, we don't want our heart to say anything contrary than we need you. We want you. God, we need you to answer our prayer. We need you to speak to us. We need you to show us and guide us and refresh us and satisfy us. And God, we need you. We need you more than food. We need you more than our next breath. And so, Lord, please come. Please help us. Give us a heart, Father, that responds to those in need, that goes out into this world and helps them make things like they ought to be. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.